Somebody get a shot up at the buzzer. It's good. From Hall. The place is at the buzzer. The Dayton Flyers. Pandemonium in the Dayton Decibel Dungeon. the great college basketball venues in the nation, UD Arena. This is Talking Out Loud, the number one podcast on the internet for Dayton Flyers basketball, always wearing red and being loud. And welcome back to the A10's number one podcast. It's Talking Out Loud, and I'm still your boy Sully bringing you nothing but the goods for the next hour as it pertains to your University of Dayton Flyers. Jam-packed hour of the show today to get you going 25 days until the Dayton Flyers take the court against the Lindenwood somethings on Monday, November 7th at good old UD Arena, Edwin C. Moses Boulevard's location of that particular venue. Kevin Sweeney from SI Now and... um, Field of 68 Network. I lost my train of thought of where he actually worked, but Field of 68, SI Now, Kevin Sweeney is joining us on the back half of the hour. Before we get to that, lots to talk about uh, in Dayton Flyerland and college basketball in general. So we will get right to it because it has been a week since I've come to you, but there has been no shortage of jackassery and stupid headlines in college basketball in that amount of time, not the least of which has been an article coming out just recently here within the last couple of days. Again, we're recording on Thursday afternoon, October 13th. Um, The headline was around expansion for the NCAA tournament, which obviously is a stupid idea. So let's start there tonight. If you are a listener that advocates for the expansion of the NCAA tournament, It's dumb and you're wrong, and we can start there uh, with the entire discussion. Now, uh, this came about because the ACC Commissioner Jim Phillips said it was, quote, time to take a look at, unquote, expanding the NCAA tournament, which again, dumb idea, I'll keep reminding you of that. But I think it's important to dig into why this is such a stupid idea, and Honestly, it begins and ends with the fan experience and what fans want, which is often cast aside in these college basketball discussions for, you guessed it, the almighty dollar. My biggest problem, uh, first and foremost, with the expansion of the NCAA tournament, now whether that's 80 teams or 96 teams or whatever the hell, the last expansion was wholly unnecessary. The next one will be even more so and likely a detriment to the sport. Now, we are under the unique position here as Dayton Flyer fans to directly benefit from the last expansion of the NCAA tournament. I think that is important to keep in mind as you look at the yin and yang, uh, both sides of the coin, hearing both sides of the discussion, if you will. However, there is not two sides to this discussion that are reasonable, and that reason is being there is no one out there currently that supports the expansion of the NCAA tournament 
that would not directly benefit financially from doing so. If you can find someone that does not make these decisions in a conference room that is in support of the NCAA tournament, I challenge you, fair listener, to go out and do it. Making the tournament has always been the goal in college basketball. But when it's expanded, that is not no longer going to be an outlying goal of many programs. Just getting to the NCAA tournament will no longer be the bar for which those coaches are judged. Is that necessarily a good thing or a bad thing? Personally, I do think it is a bad thing because the expectations for many college basketball programs, not unlike the Dayton Flyers, is black and white. You make the tournament it's a successful season. Now, of course, there are outliers like Kentucky, uh, like Kansas. I guess this year, you know, Kentucky had a little bit higher expectations than losing to St. Peter's. But the higher up programs, the Dukes, the North Carolinas, of course, getting in the tournament is not held in the same regard as it is here in Dayton because it is done every year. But the coaches that are working their way up through the ranks and those coaches right now that are sitting behind their desks and can read between the tea leaves, job security will become even more tenuous in the new college basketball landscape if the tournament is to expand to more than 68 teams because that will no longer be an arching goal that is, uh, let's call it, worthwhile to find. Now, um, I say all that, and the other point that I would like to get to is that if you expand the NCAA tournament, it makes the regular season even more irrelevant than it has already become. Now, you might be sitting there as a Dayton fan and say, well, hold on, Sully. The regular season is always important. Every game matters. And you're right, because Dayton has found themselves in an extremely unique position on this particular matter where the regular season matters more than about 95% of programs. You might be asking yourself why that is. Don't worry, listener. I'll feed you. All right, baby bird, you sit back. I'll feed you. If you're a mid-major right now in college basketball, and I mean real mid-major, I'm talking Metro Atlantic Conference, Sun Belt, SWAC, the grimiest of the mid-majors deep down in the bottom, the regular season, quite frankly, could not matter any less into the future and forever. There's no way that the regular season will matter less than it does right now for mid-majors. And that reason is because of the conference tournaments. And one of the reasons why I have personally advocated for regular season champions to get the invite into the NCAA tournament over the champion of a five-day tournament now, I understand that inherently the viewing value or the entertainment value of those conference tournaments is great. And I love conference week. I love championship week. It's fantastic. It usually goes on for about 10 to 14 days. So it's kind of two weeks if you really get down to it. But I love the viewing experience as well. There, there is nothing like turning on the Metro Atlantic semifinal and then the Patriot League final right afterwards or the SWAC final on ESPN and then uh, the MEAC finals right afterwards, buzzer beaters, uh, playing in small gyms. There is inherent entertainment value in these tournaments and that's why they will continue to persist. However, what it does on the other side of the fence is make your regular season 
completely irrelevant when you consider the fact that in most leagues, if you played a bunch of your walk-ons the entire regular season, you lost every single game, and then right at the end of the year, you were able to put together five guys off the bench. Let's just say they were all hurt all year. And those five guys were the best five in the entire conference. They could take an 0-31 record, win three games over five days or four games over six days, whatever it is, and get into the tournament again, just giving you an example of how irrelevant the regular season has become. On the other side of the fence, I'm using a fence analogy a lot today. You're going to have to bear with. I think I've been looking at fences a lot, apparently, recently. But on... The top end of the spectrum in college basketball, you have, let's call it Big Ten teams, SEC teams, Pac-12, take your pick, serum headed with this. The prevailing wisdom over the last few years is that big uh, programs, let's call them high majors, uh, power six, whatever your nomenclature is for those particular programs, they get too many chances. They get to lose 10, 12 games. And again, I go back to the fact that the regular season is largely irrelevant But at least in the high majors and the power six, you have big games that matter more than others. Now, those games aren't going to make or break your season because if Michigan State loses a heartbreaker to Indiana, they can turn around the next week and they're probably playing Michigan or they're going to go play Minnesota. There's plenty of opportunities for them to make up ground. And in the case of, let's say, this past year's um, Indiana team, Uh, you saw where they had struggled a lot down the stretch. 14 losses Indiana had. They lost uh, between the beginning of February and the time the regular season ended. Indiana was 2-7. Yes, you heard it, 2-7. However, they beat Michigan, they beat Illinois, and then they lost to Iowa in that uh, very memorable buzzer beater in the Big Ten tournament this past year, and they snuck in as a 12 seed in the first four because they had already beaten Ohio State, because they had already beaten Notre Dame, Purdue, and then they put together some wins against Michigan and Illinois that were top 30 wins, and all of a sudden, all those games they lost, that two and seven stretch, didn't mean a damn thing, and so you have to ask yourself, how important is the regular season really for the power six. And now, of course, I get all the way back to us in Dayton Flyerland, smack in the middle of these two very different positions in college basketball. And we are one of the very few programs out there where the regular season still matters a great deal. We saw last year, every game matters a great deal because you can't lose three games in November and then have to put yourself in the position to be fighting back and get yourself into tournament relevance that entire time. But you can't lose more than three or four games to stinkers, you know, uh, bottom feeders rather in the A-10 either. So where Dayton finds himself is that every game still matters um, to a pretty profound degree. And I want to take that point and drive it home that I do feel fortunate um, in this entire discussion. I feel very fortunate that Dayton is in the position that we are. Because the regular season will continue to matter. Every game will continue to matter. And of course, of course, you can take the night off. You don't have to watch Dayton play Southeastern Louisiana State. And God forbid you miss a family function to watch the Flyers play Western Michigan. I'll forgive you. Lord knows they will at the Heavenly Gates. But you get the point. Most games on Dayton's schedule are going to matter 
when all is said and done and you can't drop stinkers like we saw last year. So if you are a fan and um, place importance on the regular season mattering, I think that's number one for why expansion doesn't work. I think um, number two, we already talked about it here, making the tournament is the goal and I would not want that to be tarnished or dare I say sullied because there are more teams getting in to that discussion. Now, of course, there is so many asinine takes just flying around left and right on this particular discussion about uh, tournament expansion. Should we let more teams in? Blah, 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 blah. And of course, the king prognosticator himself, Ken Pomeroy of KenPom.com, had to weigh in today uh, on what he thought was correct. And Ken Pom said 80 teams is the perfect mark. That's what he said. I couldn't believe it either. 80 teams was what he wanted in the field. And so I said, well, let's hear him out because I'm a hear both sides kind of guy. And so somebody, of course, replied to him on Twitter and said, yeah, you have to get more 17 and 14 power fives or, you know, Indiana's who scrape in. Got to get more of those teams in the field. And Ken Pomeroy said, that's a common complaint. But if you go deeper into the at-large pool, the more non-Power 6 teams there are that would get in. And he said to check your favorite rating system. So I did just that, listeners, and I checked my favorite rating system, KenPomeroy.com, or KenPom.com for those of you that know. And what I found was pretty predictable of what you thought I was going to find or why I'd bring this argument up. Let's go to 2022, and I'm going to rattle off the first five teams in Ken Pomeroy's rankings that are ranked the highest but did not get into the NCAA tournament. (laughs) Buckle up. It's Oklahoma, Texas A&M, Wake Forest, Washington State, and then your Dayton Flyers. So we can just stop right there before I go on to next year's. Four out of those five teams are Power Six, and then your Dayton Flyers. And of course, I know you're saying, well, 80-team tournament, the Flyers would have got in, Sully. You're not wrong. So I went back to 2021. First five teams that I can list off. Arizona, they were not uh, eligible that year. Then you have Memphis, Duke, Penn State, Utah, Kentucky, And if I wanted to go further, it would be Indiana, Mississippi, St. Louis, Seton Hall. How are we benefiting the little guys when now, again, the next example I bring up, 80% of these teams that first and foremost would get let in would be of the power six ilk. I skipped 2020. I went back to 2019. I said to myself, Ken Pomeroy can't possibly be saying something this asinine. So then I went into his rankings again, 2019. The first five teams I could find that did not make the tournament ranked highest in his rankings. This is his formula that this is the entire argument Ken Palm was making, the entire foundation of his argument. First five teams, Texas, Clemson, TCU, NC State, Penn State, and then Lipscomb, Nebraska, Indiana, Arkansas, Creighton, Memphis. Where's the little guy being helped by this 80-team field? Please, someone explain it to me. Now, Ken Pomeroy is not the Bible of college basketball rankings, nor should it be. You can use Bartorvik. You can use Haslam metrics. You can use BPI. There's a million different things out there. But we have seen year in and year out 
that the big guys are always going to get a bump because they're playing more meaningful games against better competition night in, night out. So if you're sitting there saying, well, if we expanded the 80-team tournament, it's going to let more little guys in, you're probably right, but it's going to let in more Power 5 teams than little guys, and I think the argument can stop right there. Second part tonight, a nice long monologue before we bring in Kevin Sweeney of SI Now and uh, Field of 68 Network. Uh, Field of 68, one of the reasons I brought Kevin on is that they're partnering with the A-10 this year. So if you just can't get enough A-10 content, don't even worry about it, fam. There are more podcasts than you can shake a damn stick at in this uh, conference right now, but you're well aware of who is number one. Uh, I wanted to bring something up that I thought was kind of funny um, before I, I do get to the interview, and this is um, straight off of my nightly TV watching habits, but uh, if you haven't watched Welcome to Wrexham, you're probably a sports fan and listening to this podcast, I think you'd like it, and I'm going to recommend it to my listeners out here. Uh, if you're not aware, Welcome to Wrexham is a, um, a show about Rob McElhaney, creator of Always Sunny, and Ryan Reynolds of many movies. Um they bought an English football team uh, who's in like the fifth league over in England. They're just basically dumping a shit ton of money into this particular um, uh, football club, Wrexham AFC. And the documentary is around kind of their efforts to connect with the town, make the team good again because they stink and everybody in the town knows they stink. And then, of course, you know, get them promoted into the league. Okay, I don't have to belabor that. So I brought it up today because uh, in one of the episodes recently, uh, they did, um, they had, they talked to fans and basically got their sentiments of the different types of fans that uh, are involved with Wrexham AFC. And it was just too damn spot on for Dayton Flyer land. And so they, they broke it down into... Uh, Four different categories, okay? Sorry, three three different categories. And my British accent is kind of shit, but I'll try my best here. So the, the first category that they had was happy clappers. And they said, you know, win or lose, they're going to be with the team. At least we've got a club, you know? And these people are always going to be uh, with supporting that team. And win, lose, or draw, they'll be out there rooting on the boys and being all rosy. I, think you know probably a couple Dayton Flyer fans that are like that if you're not like uh, that yourself. The second one, which I laughed the hardest at, was the Monas. The Monas. <laughs> they said when the football is good and the sun is shining, they're still going to go and moan about something. And the particular guy they were interviewing says, oh, I can't bear it. And it made me laugh because I definitely get called out for that, like being one of the moaners out there. Um but there's certainly a lot of fans in Dayton Flyerland just like that. Whether the basketball is good and the team is winning, they're going to find something to complain about. I'm trying harder to not be in that group, and, and I uh, advise you to do just the same. And then <laughs> the last group was passionate supporters, and this particular fan called them bloody idiots. And uh, those are the guys that will support the club no matter what, like it was uh, their family. And there's certainly a lot of fault to be had in that as well, because uh, the Dayton Flyers aren't paying your bills, nor are they paying mine. And uh, I think a level of objectivity is always welcome in the name of fandom. 
However, uh, to drive the point all the way home, there are these three different groups in Wrexham, and of course, bleeding over into our discussion, three different groups in the Dayton Flyers fan base, the happy clappers, the passionate supporters, and the moaners, but they are all in unison on their sentiments when one thing happens, and that is winning games. Uh, also, a really interesting discussion about hooligans. Um, if you've ever heard the word hooligan or hooliganism in English football, uh, they gave a really good lesson about where that came from. Uh, apparently, a guy named Patrick Hooligan murdered a police officer and spent his life in jail. And his lore was so great that local bar owners in London started to call uh, random acts of violence hooliganism. Look it up. I swear to God, I didn't make that shit up for this particular monologue for the show today. Um, other than that, I'm going to I'm gonna put a nice big bow on the monologue today. I appreciate you sticking around for preseason content here on Talking Out Loud and the upcoming interview with Kevin Sweeney. We'll be back next week, each Thursday leading up to the season. Uh, again, the Lindenwood whatevers come in on uh, Monday, November 7th. That'll be your standard buy game. Let's feed them well, make sure the check clears, and send them on their merry way back to St. Charles, Missouri. Um and other than that, uh, not too much. We come to you on A10 Media Day today. Uh, Jablo's out there doing the hard-hitting J work of real-time journalists. Uh, I, myself, not that way. Because if you want coach platitudes and all that nice, um, let's call it professional coach speak, just go on over to DaytonDailyNews.com, read David Jablonski's articles, read, listen to his interviews. He's got all that good stuff. If you're just absolutely dying for a quote from AG about how the team's got to stay locked in and everybody's in the best shape of their life and we're hoping for the best year ever, if you want all that kind of stuff, you know where to go and it ain't here. Take a quick break. We're at Talking Out Loud. I'm your boy, Sully, and we'll be back on the other side with Kevin Sweeney from Field of 68 Network and SI Now. And welcome back after a short break. It's still Talking Out Loud, the number one podcast in the Atlantic 10. That's facts only. Still your boy Sully here bringing you a special guest to round out the show tonight. Uh, he works for Sports Illustrated, most importantly, and then secondarily for the Field of 68 Network. Uh, we're going to be talking about them a lot in the preseason because Field of 68 Network who I'm infinitely familiar with, uh, the brainchild of Rob Doster and Jeff Goodman, who tells me he'll be on the show next week. We'll see. He was supposed to be on the show this week. Um, they are now partnering with the A-10 to do a little bit more content, a little bit more in-depth uh, interviews with players, coaches. So as they get ramped up and uh, welcomed into our fair conference, um, I figured I would set the stage for them to do so. So today, joining the show again of Sports Illustrated and Field of 68, it's our friend Kevin Sweeney, I believe his third time on the show. Usually we catch up in the preseason to talk some hoops. And this season, uh, you know, you got to do a little bit of shameless plugging, Kevin, and you did put an SI article out that was an A-10 basketball preseason preview. So here we are. Great to have you on the show again, man. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me as always, even if I, I guess I am in the shadow of, of Jeff Goodman, uh, as I always am. <laughs> Jeff. Uh, it won't be for no, long, that's for sure. Yeah, it, it's great. Uh, I, I actually went to bat and wanted to make sure that uh, we at SI wrote an A-10 preview. We didn't last year. I wanted to make sure that we did the A-10 and the Mountain West because I think they're such great conferences and such, so, so much fun. So check those out. All of our conference previews those are coming out 
here in the uh, the next week or two. And then we'll also do what's always fun. We did it last year, rank every team in college basketball. Last year is one to 358. This year it's one to 363. So that has been a lot of uh, behind the scenes work that still is ongoing. Most of the rankings are set at this point, but there's a lot of stuff formatting wise that we got to get done before we publish that probably the first week of November, right before the season tips off. So always more to do, but uh, excited about the upcoming season. Very excited about the Atlantic 10, especially now that it's in Chicago, in my backyard. I live uh, like a mile away from Loyola's campus. So excited to get to see some A-10 games more than I often get to just because of my general kind of travel patterns. Yeah, and um, I think me and you have talked about this uh, for a number of years because I lived in Chicago for a decade that um, it's not the most friendly place to see A-10 basketball. Um, The nearest locations are St. Louis and Dayton, and they're both four and a half hours away. So if you live in Chicago, um, the A-10 schedule is not so friendly to you, but all the teams are you know, are coming your way now. Uh, if you want to make the uh, the John up to Genteel Arena there in Rogers Park on the north side. Um, Kevin, I know that uh, your uh, your rise or, or career, I guess, has, has been uh, slow and steady. And uh, it kind of, you know, came from uh, just your loyalty to the sport and, and your passion for covering it. So those listeners that maybe don't know, uh, Kevin's been on our show before, but um, started doing journalism at Northwestern, uh, was cranking out a ton of uh, blogs and podcasts about college basketball during your college days. And then sure enough, um, you landed the job at SI where you are now, as well as helping out with Field of 68. Do you ever take a step back to kind of realize you know, where you came from? I, I remember reading your first blogs, what is it, five years ago now, probably, it, to what you're doing now. It's like, um, I think I've always kind of been... Uh, toe in the line about or, you know, thinking about what it would be like to cover college basketball full time. But you're actually doing it, man. I mean, you, you kind of set out to have a dream and you're, you're living the dream. Do you ever, you know, try to at least appreciate the ride while you're on it? I mean, yes, I definitely am living the dream and I do try as hard as I can to appreciate the rise. It sounds kind of, it sounds kind of like assholey to say, but like, it can get dry like during the season. Like there are points right when you're at like, you're, you're on game like five in the last eight days and you watch, you did like a podcast the other night and like you, you like you, you haven't done anything social other than go to basketball games for the last like week and a half. And you're like, okay, why am I watching (laughs) Northwestern versus Rutgers right now? Um, I I think when you get to those moments, it's the most important kind of take a step back and like, kind of take a breath and be like, like, holy shit, I do this for a living. Um, like, this is unbelievably awesome. And I couldn't imagine doing anything else. So I remember I would get text texts from friends during March last year being like, Hey, I just like, want to like, make sure you're okay. Like I haven't heard from you or whatever. Like just make sure everything's good. I know you're, you're like working crazy right now. And I was like, look, I'd rather do this for 80 hours a week than anything else in the world for 40. And so yes, in March I was working my tail off. Fortunately in the summer, I can take a little bit more of a breather, but I mean, it's it's everything. I've been unbelievably fortunate with some of the breaks I've gotten in the industry. I mean, uh, from I mean, look, the last year was the first NCAA tournament I covered in person, and sure enough, the biggest story that I covered was a MAC basketball story, St. Peter's, and I grew up watching (laughs) MAC basketball. Like the like the the luck of that should not happen. I wrote, I mean, two huge stories for SI, probably two of the biggest stories I've written were about St. Peter's basketball of all things. And that's just like weird and strange. And I was in the right place at the right time in a lot of respects. But uh, I mean, 
look, I mean, my, my first NCAA tournament had maybe the best upset story in the last you know twenty years, and also yep. the uh, also Duke Carolina in a Final Four game that was also Coach K's last game and the biggest comeback in championship game history. Like thing, like great games and great moments have found me, and I'm very fortunate for that, and I will never not appreciate it. And hopefully that this year we'll get many more of those great moments and memories. But it doesn't, it does not get lost on me the fact that I get paid to go to like sixty basketball games a year and talk to people about it. So it's the best do thing. You, uh, do you have a favorite story from last season or the last couple of seasons, like personal story to share for for listeners that don't necessarily get you know media credentialed and sit courtside? That's a that's a great question. Um, Only the tough questions on this podcast, Kevin. I know. I I, th- I I think like probably one of the the crazier things was last March um, during some of those St. Peter's games, particularly the um, the first one against Kentucky, was just yeah. feeling the energy. So my my seat was literally right um, right in front of the St. Peter's like fan section of not even like the fan section, the like AD and the president and the Shaheen Holloway's agent and his wife and his kids and mm. like feeling the energy of that like group of 20 people um, behind you as you're watching this like historic game unfold and watching their like reactions and everything um, was unbelievable. And like walking through the tunnel afterwards and like the, just shock and awe and like the looks on everyone else's faces as you're doing this, I think was just special. The same thing when coach K lost yeah. in the final four, like I will never, I will, I don't think you'll ever feel a tension in a room quite like the walk. I, everyone made from like the court to the press conference, like looking at each other, like, okay, like coach K is actually done now. Like this is yeah. it. Um, yeah. And I think those moments are the things you can never quantify watching games on television. Um, and I've watched a bazillion games on television and it's, you know, like, I think when people talk about what, what it means to cover a game in person and be at these special environments and atmospheres and everything, it is truly the like tension in the air that you can feel and the the looks on people's faces, uh, after insane moments like those. And I think those are the things that always will stand out in my mind. Yeah, two things that uh, that I'll expound upon for listeners, because I love to do kind of the crossroads of, of media and sport, right? Because um, that, that's what we do here is like we have all these different people who have their specific places in the college basketball media. Um, you know, yours is full-fledged member. Mine is kind of Homer podcast guy that does it on the side, right? Um, and they all are, are very unique, but you shared one thing that is very similar uh, to all of us is that... Um, let's say you did, you know, oh my God, we went to St. Peter's. That game was awesome. Um, hey, I, I did a story about Coach K and man, you know, I wrote 2000 words. That story was great. I remember Big Cat on Barstool and Adam Schefter talked about this a long time ago is they said that the curse and blessing of the industry is you get to do what you love. You get to cover all this stuff. But as soon as you finish a story, as soon as you get that scoop and then you hit click, print, uh, publish, that story's dead to you then. You know, you're on to the next thing and it's, um, it is a blessing and a curse because you get to get all this great scoop, this great information. But as soon as it goes out, in my case, like as soon as I get a good guest to do a podcast, you know, just like this one, uh, I click publish and that one's done now. I have to get on to the next one, regardless of how good, bad or indifferent that was. Um, the second thing is just 
lifting up the curtain for for viewers a little bit or listeners is that um, press conferences are very tense uh, a lot of times, right? And I know that you've been in a lot of them to know. Uh, of course, your your throwaway games between. Uh, LaSalle and GW are going to have a little bit different of a field than Dayton VCU for the conference on the line. But my point that I'm getting at is uh, everybody online thinks they're they're real tough and they have all these opinions. And I would say this to Anthony Grant or, man, I would give Frank Martin a piece of my mind and here's what I would say. And <laughs> rubber really meets the road when you sit down in that press conference and you're looking eye to eye with a coach. You're not so tough anymore. And every person on this earth who is a respectable human being will tone it down a little bit to ask those questions. But at the same time, you still have to get information out of them that's going to be pertinent. And I think you know about me that I'm not for layup questions. If I have something important to ask, I'll ask it. Otherwise, I'll keep it to myself because, frankly, listening to coach platitudes and coach speak and we tried hard and we lost close games, that shit isn't for me. And I don't get any value of that, nor do viewers, because there's a million different outlets where you can get those types of quotes. But I think you know what I'm talking about is that when you go into those press conferences, you got to be very particular about what you ask and how you ask it, or else you're going to be a meme somewhere on Twitter for the next like 24 hours, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think on both fronts that you mentioned, I think it comes back to relationships, right? Like, so, so number one, the way that stories don't die is that you build relationships with people because you wrote those stories, right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm grateful. Like I wrote about Coppin State of all things last year and their journey through playing the most ridiculous non-conference schedule. They played like, oh, thir- I remember they played, that. Like, right. They played like 12, like 13 games in a month. It, it was absurd because they have to play They're by game the on the program. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all on the road. And the relationships I have with some of the people on their coaching staff, because we work together on making that story reality, like those persist and some of the people on that staff have left and went other places and I still know them and still have a relationship with them. And I think that's the thing that makes those stories not die. And that's why it makes it special. And you're not just flushing it. Uh, and I think the, uh, on the press conference front, look, you can be more, um, I don't know if critical is the right word, but like you can get more out of a interview uh, with someone if they trust you and they know that like you're Absolutely. coming from the right place. Like I can, I can get real information from people who I know, who I can, I know there are people in this, in this industry that I can call coaches um, that I can, I can say, look, I need the real, I need, I need the real here. Like I know, I know what the yeah. coach speak answer is to this. I, I don't, I don't need that. I need, I need the real information. Uh, and I also think that like, there's a, there's a certain thing to be said, even if you don't have a relationship with a person, like ask a fair question, even if it's a tough question. I've had to do that a lot with my alma mater at Northwestern. They've struggled so much, particularly in close <laughs> games. And I have walked yeah. into press conferences and asked really hard questions of Chris Collins about like, why are you not winning close games? Like, what is the issue? Like, why are you, is it, well, like, and, and I've phrased it all different ways. And every single time he gives me a different coach speak answer. And that's, a, that's okay, right? Like, that, <laughs> yep. I mean, he's, 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 he's in that's he's the job. In the, yeah, he's in the Coach K, Coach K world, Coach K family. That's, that's the way they operate. It's okay. I'm cool with that. But it's not going to stop me from asking the question because if nothing else, I forced him to give the coach speak answer. And yeah, at some point, and, that you, 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 can only, you can only control one side of the interaction. Yeah, and, and coaches, players, they need to know you're not going to write a hit piece about them, right? Yeah. Um, I'll share a story with listeners that uh, I may have shared in March when um, the A-10 tournament was going on. So I was covering it out in D.C., going to the press conference. 
um, first game that I went to and sat courtside was Dayton against UMass. And of course, you know, like Matt McCall was getting fired. Everybody knew it. As soon as the season was over, you know, he was a dead man walking. And I don't know if people know this or not, but when you get to the conference tournaments, there's a lot of students that don't know what they're doing as far as covering things. And thankfully, I have enough background where like I know what it's like to be a media member, to to kind of talk that talk and walk that walk. I'm not... I'm not putting like a, an over sense of importance on it. I'm just saying there is a certain way that you you act and present yourself in the press conferences or when you're in the media rooms or whatever. And sure enough, UMass loses. Coach McCall comes off and he's such a great guy. Like I, I think I asked him something about his game plan and how he strategized to take Deron Holmes out of the game. And I did it because I had to shift the com- conversation back to basketball because these two kids <laughs> are sitting in the front row First question out. They're like, so Coach McCall, like, have you given any thought to your future? And I was like, like, you could see the whole room just like head in hands, like, come on, man. And then the players come up, right? And they're sitting there and they do it again. And they're like, have you guys thought about your future now that Coach McCall is leaving? And, you know, God bless Matt McCall. He jumped in and was like, guys like they're not going to answer that question like they're going on spring break their season just ended like seven minutes ago like why don't you give them a break right and um i always think about that story because you kind of do get all um levels of experience in college basketball coverage right it's not like an nfl media room where everybody there has been credentialed and they're um sometimes you know have been covering the beat for like 30 years so um, I knew that you would have kind of a, a unique perspective on that as well, because I know you've been in a lot of press conferences. I've been in a lot of press. Con- I've been on a lot of student-led press conferences, heavy student press conferences, and uh, yes, the the information or, or the understanding of what's the right time and place to ask questions doesn't always click with people. But I also think that's why college basketball is a good place to get into. I, I, I couldn't. I couldn't be doing start. what I'm doing. Right. I couldn't be doing what I'm doing in the NFL at 23 years old. And you yeah. couldn't you couldn't have the access you have in, in college basketball if you were doing it as an NFL fan. It's just really, really hard. But I think when you do things the right way and you show people grace in, in situations like Matt McCall is in, like what you're referring to, um, when you ask intelligent questions, people will respect you and give you access and um, want to help you share their stories. Because I think like college basketball coaches and they want their programs to get good exposure. They want people they want people to care, right? Like this is like yep. this is all they do. Like they 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 eat, sleep, and breathe it. And coaches, I, one of the things that coaches always will point out to me is like they like me because they see how genuine and authentic and how much I care about this. And I think fans yeah. and how much work I put into it. And I think fans appreciate that as well. I mean, um, John Fanta is a, a great friend. He's the Big East guy. I think people kind of know know who he is at this point just because he's built this massive following on Twitter. Like. John Fanta is like the perfect example of the most authentic person I've ever like met in college. Like, ever, like yeah. the guy so like genuinely loves it that like everyone wants to see what he does. Like what yeah. people want to read about college basketball from John Fanta's point of view or listen to college basketball from his point of view because he cares. And I think at the end of the day, like if you show that you care and you do things pro- professionally and respectfully, like whether, whether it's big name coaches or, you know, unknown people in this industry or fans or whatever, People will respect that, and I think that's why one of the reasons I think I've been able to have success. It's not some rat magic formula. It's just showing people some 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 grace and respect, and showing people why you love this thing because I think it's a really unique and cool thing to to be around every day. 
talking to Kevin Sweeney from uh, SI Now and Field of 68 Network here on Talking Out Loud. And thanks for joining us again. Um, point well taken, Kevin. I think that my show here in Dayton land has done well for those exact same reasons. Um, you know, you know, sometimes uh, I have very spirited discussions with people, but at the end of the day, um, I'm not going to bullshit you. You know, we're going to come on and tell it like it is. And I think sometimes people need that. It's refreshing. But to, to your point, to again, drive it home, um, people aren't stupid when it comes to consuming coverage. They know when you're being real and they know when you're putting on an act. And uh, we ain't never going to do that here. So shifting gears quickly as... Uh, we, uh, as we careen into Dayton Flyer season 25 days away from the time of this broadcast right here on Thursday, October 13th. Um, didn't bring Kevin on to talk about college basketball media and the landscape for the entire half hour here, but did want to talk about, um, first and foremost, uh, the A-10 coming up season preview. So first question first, uh, Kevin, and, and this is always the most important one to us for Flyer fans here. Uh, gun to your head, how many A-10 teams get in the tournament this year, and, and who are they? I'll say three. Um, I'd love it to be four, but I think Dayton and SLU are going to get in, and I think it's a matter of one of kind of the bubbly teams like Loyola and VCU or someone stealing a bit. Obviously, Richmond did it last year. Uh, yep. I think the, the door is certainly wide open for a lot of teams, I think, in the middle tier to be really good, you know, like George Mason, and I think UMass is really talented and things like that, so... Uh, I think that's kind of the way you break it down is that there's two teams I think are going to be solidly at large caliber in Dayton and, and St. Louis, and then a couple teams that could be pretty bubbly, and then the rest of them I think have a chance, certainly in that middle tier, to, to make a move come conference tournament time at Barclays. Yeah, I was really surprised that, um, you know, reading your, your A-10 preview, and, and if you want to go check it out, it's on SI.com SI under the college basketball section, um, A-10 basketball preview with a picture of Jerron Holmes right on the top for you Dayton fans. Um, coming down the rankings, yeah, Dayton number one, St. Louis at number two, VCU number three. I think for all intents and purposes, that's probably going to be the preseason rankings for just about everybody. Uh, I said last week here on the show, pick your order. doesn't matter. Don't get your panties in a bunch about it if you're a Dayton fan. Uh, whether Dayton's one, two, or three, it makes no difference to me. We should know by about mid-December who the front runners of the league are, and probably in Dayton's case, a lot earlier than that. Um, after Loyola at four, which I think is a pretty common sense pick at number four for most people, just given, um, they've kind of earned the benefit of the doubt basically until the wheels fall off. Um, if, if they will, or if they will not, but, uh, and then in the middle of the pack, I know these teams generally in the A-10 can be interchangeable, but, uh, in your rankings, you had UMass five, George Mason, six, Richmond, seven, Davidson, and then Rhode Island, um, I think when we talk about extra teams getting in, it's got to be one team from that pack right there, right? Um, I guess you're probably a little bit more bullish on UMass than others. So who can emerge or who's the best guest to emerge from that group to make some noise in the A-10 this coming year? Yeah, I mean, so, so I, I basically rank those groups based on talent, right? I think UMass is loaded talent-wise, right? I mean, you have... Uh, transfers coming in from high major schools like Diggins from UConn, Matt Cross from Louisville, um, Levesque, who comes in, the big man, he's going to come in from South Carolina. Like, if you lined this team up physically, like, they look like they could play in the ACC. They look like they could play high major. It just just with the the bodies they brought in, I think. So I think the upside is really high with them. 
I just think knowing Frank Martin's history, they might struggle early on. It seems like if you look back to his South Carolina tenure, they had a lot of teams where they lost by games early in the season. They really struggled to put it together, play his style. It's such a demanding kind of physical style of basketball. I think that's something that they might struggle with in November, December, maybe into January. But I think, you know, come later in the year, they, they could be really dangerous. So I think them, them and George Mason have elite level talent. And I think that's why... I'm buying some stock because I think they both do have good coaches. I do think Kim English is a very good coach. I do think Frank Martin, obviously he's been to a final four is a very good coach. And I think you combine that with really, really top tier talent. And I think they have a chance to be really special. It's just a matter of kind of, can they piece the pieces all together in Mason's case, they have some questions at point guard. That's never something you want in this conference. <laughs> no. uh, and so I, I think those are the things that hold me back from moving them up into that you know, true contender tier, but I think with the, with the pieces they have, they could be in that mix if you're just lining up the rosters. Yeah, and then, um, you know, to go through the bottom there, um, I've seen a lot of previews that, that people think Davidson's just going to turn the page and be same old Davidson. I don't necessarily believe that. Then you have Rhode Island. Um, I saw what Archie Miller did here in years one and two. Wholly underwhelming would be even generous. And I think that's going to be the story of Rhode Island again, right? But um, from your perspective, national media, the A10 is not short on stories to write for national media, and especially just because of the coaches in this conference now, right? Both the ones that have left and the ones that have come in. Oh, it's awesome. I mean, obviously, losing Bob McKillop is, you know, a big deal. He's a, a legend in this thing for his ability to. I mean, his offenses have been, you know, second to none into the way that they, yep. they operate. And I'm that's one of the reasons I'm a little bit lower on Davidson is just like as good as I think Matt McKillop can be, like he's a relative unknown and you don't get the you don't get the Bob McKillop bump with this anymore. Right. And there was exactly. there was a bump that was kind of built in there. It's benefit um, of the doubt, which doesn't exist anymore for them. Ab yeah. Absolutely. But yeah, I mean like the coaches are are great. Obviously the guys coming in, um, in terms of the new coaches like, you know, Frank and, and Archie that and Fran Dunphy, that brings some some real cachet. Also, I think two of the most highly regarded young coaches in the industry, and I know that they only have one year of experience each in Kim English and Drew Valentine, uh, Drew coming in from Loyola, obviously in into the A-10. Um, like those two guys are people that if you talk to people around the industry, agents, search firms, people, you know, people who are making hiring decisions, like there's kind of an unspoken, yeah, these guys are going to be the dudes like in, in five to 10 years. Like we're going to sure. be talking about these guys at, at really big jobs. And does that always pan out? No, but like, they have that billing and they've shown they can recruit and relate to people uh, and market their programs and do an unbelievable job with all of those parts of it. So, um, and, and Drew won 25 games as a, as a first year head coach at 30 years old. So he's doing something right. So I, I think you combine the brand names with the two young, you know, young stars with the proven guys at the top, like Ford and Grant and uh, Mike Rhodes, who've been around this thing for a while, and it, it, it just produces some really interesting stories in, in this conference. I'm excited to be around it. Yeah, and and I'm I'm glad to have you around it this year. You know, from my perspective, I am the same way as everybody else here. Is that we just like coverage, but we like the A10 to be noticed. Um, it's even cool for me as someone who's been doing this for. Uh, going on seven years now to see the amount of grassroots coverage that, have, that has come out of this conference. Um, it, it's been cool, you know, because when I started, it was 
you know, we did Blackburn Review. There was the Bonner blog and, you know, maybe one or two others that would pop up, you know, guys, George Mason had a blog and that's pretty much it. You know, now there's a 10 talk. Every team's got a, a podcast or a blog and we have the three bid league and now field of 68's doing coverage. I mean, it's cool to see all this kind of bubble up because, um, we're a basketball conference, you know, like this is the only thing that we do. It's the only thing that we're actually known for. Um, but going back to, to Loyola, I know that you've covered them a little bit more closely than most of the teams in the conference, just because of your proximity to campus. Um, I tend to think that they're going to struggle uh, moving up to the A-10. I think that minimum six games they're going to lose probably closer to 10 and eight is where I'm going to slot them at. I think Loyola ends up finishing in the middle of the pack. However, uh, historically speaking, and I'll give a history lesson to listeners right now, historically speaking, if you go back over the seven teams that have most recently joined the A-10, all of them were 10 and six or better except for one team. Uh, I guess that can be your trivia question tonight, Kevin. Out of the last seven teams that have joined the A-10, one team was worse than 10-6. and six. They had a, a losing record in their first year. Do you know who that team was? Oh, my God. This is, this is really tricky. I'm, I'm, trying to like, I'm trying to think through the teams that have come in and out. Like, well, did... They're still in the conference. That's your Right. Guess. Okay. Um... Richmond's first year in the league? It was not. It was actually George Mason. Um, you know, yeah. you could yeah, you could have put those puzzle pieces together. I knew um, they I knew <laughs> they fell apart early. I just couldn't remember how early they fell apart. Yeah. Um, so walking back for for listeners, um, I went as far back as Richmond in uh, two thousand two. Uh, Spiders were eleven and five when they joined the conference. Uh, four years later, the Billikens joined in 06. They were ten and six. That same year, Charlotte joined the conference. They had a quick cup of coffee in the A-10 before Bolton for Conference USA. They started 2006-11-5. Then we took a seven-year break. VCU and Butler came in during the same year in 2013, 12-4 and and 11-5 respectively. George Mason the year after, they were 5-12. And And then the most recent addition until Loyola joined was Davidson, and they were 14-4 in year one. Uh, Kevin, where do you land on that? You said, you know, Drew Valentine's been doing a good job. Hard to d- dispute that. But the Missouri Valley is not the A-10. The A-10 is not the Missouri Valley. That's kind of where I am going to land right now. Again, preseason is all about benefit of the doubt. I can't give it to Leola because they haven't been in this conference before and played average to above average teams every night, whereas in the Missouri Valley, you're only playing an above average team maybe once every three games. What say you on Loyola's outlook for year one here in uh, in God's League? Okay, a couple, couple things I like. Number one, I think the the narrative around Loyola dating back to the, the like Porter Mosier days when they went to a Final Four in Sweet 16 was this team is going to like grind you out and just play rock fights and defend and kind of be like that prototypical Missouri Valley team. That's not really where Drew's going with this, and I think if you watched them last year, you kind of saw that they want to shoot three. They want to shoot a ton of threes. They want to play a lot in early offense. They want to pick up the pace a little bit. And I think the Valley actually forced them to play more rock fights. I think they struggled in the Valley at times last year because that really wasn't the style they wanted to play. Uh, and I think the A-10 will allow them to be a little bit more up-tempo, a little bit more spaced out, a little, at, little more freedom of movement for their guards. Uh, and I think they're bigger and more athletic than they've been in, in the Valley. They've done that in recruiting. They were already trending that way, whether they move conferences or not. But 
that th- this team looks physically like a team that can compete in the A10. And at the end of the day, they have two really good guards, two outstanding veteran guards who've won games uh, in Braden Norris and Marquise Kennedy who helped them, and an experienced transfer center from Butler who started Bryce Golden, obviously a uh, last name people in this, this league are familiar with. Um, yeah. He's not Grant Golden. They're very different players, but uh, a guy who I think will help them. So you have some stability at the point and, and, and at the five. Um, you've got athleticism and, and talent, and I, and I think it's going to be hard to play in that gym. I mean, uh, I know you were tweeting yeah. about it the other day. Like, it, it is small, but they're going to fill it up. Uh, it is really loud in there. Their student engagement is awesome. Um, yeah. Just being around it, like that place, though the ceiling is super low, uh, and so it just gets super. It, it, it gets kind of bandboxy and loud, and, and it's it's a fun atmosphere. And I think A10 fans are going to enjoy playing there uh, or, or seeing their teams play there. They may not win that much there because it is tough to play there. Um, but I, I think that they will be helped by a pretty strong home court in, in year one of the conference. Yeah, I mean, I was I was mentioning it on Twitter um, because I it, it was more me kind of spitting the facts, and I think people do sometimes get get it rubbed the wrong way, right? Like I was simply pointing out to A10 fans that like if you haven't been to Loyola before, it's gonna it's a nice gym. I really like it, especially because they renovated it what within the last ten or fifteen years. Um, it's just small, like, you know, it, and I know that, uh, when Dayton fans go to St. Joe's or they go to Fordham, uh, obviously LaSalle is kind of different cause it's not really that great of an arena and I won't compare Loyola to LaSalle. I just kind of wanted people to be ready for the fact that like this place is small and every seat is great, but there's not a whole lot of them. So, um, I look forward to getting the Dayton reactions of the Loyola gym, um, just cause it's you know, right off the red line and it's, uh, pretty accessible if you're not driving to it. Um, and of course, you know, you, you get to have for us uh, a weekend in Chicago, because I believe we're playing Loyola on a Friday night in February. But um, yeah, you know, I'm looking forward to going out there in Chicago. And uh, it's, of course, like just such irony, like the first season that I move away from the area, uh, Loyola, you know, jumps into the A-10, the height of irony, really. But, um, you know, I'm looking forward to those road trips. So now that you have, uh, you know, a little bit more affiliation to the A-10, are you going to you make it down to Dayton this season? What's the deal there? I would love to. I'm going to try. Um, I haven't really mapped out the conference slate. I know I will see them in Chicago in when they play Loyola, but also when they play Wyoming at United yep. Center. That's on the docket as well. So I'll get a couple games of something else, but I would love to make that trip, especially, I mean, it, it, it's on the bucket list of places where, I just want to experience you know, the fans and the student section and the energy about it and you know, kind of a basketball. St- I love basketball schools and there's nothing like it. So that's, it's, it's, on, it's on the list. Hopefully we can make it work this year. That's who we are. That's what we do. Wrapping up with Kevin Sweeney from Sports Illustrated and Field of 68 Network. Uh, Kevin, I'll, I won't let you go without asking the Dayton question. I know we're up against the half hour here. Um, floor and ceiling for the Dayton Flyers. I know that you put them at number one in the conference. I think expectations are sky high. Media days will not uh, tamp down that hype. But where do you see the floor? Where do you see the ceiling for this year's Dayton Flyers? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think that I'm reinventing the wheel to say that, like, it was really impressive how good they were last year, given how young they were in a year that everyone else is old. And getting older, I think, will really help them. And Look, I'm not going to put the expectations of the 1920 team on them, right? I mean, what they turned out to be it sets, kind of sets a standard that's unfair. But, I mean, I have, I have them as a top 20 team in the preseason. Like, I really think they can be that good, that they can win multiple games in the NCAA tournament, that they can be, you know, a dark horse Final Four team. Like, I, I think they have that level of, of upside because they have great point guard play, 
a really you know a, a ready to explode center in Holmes. Um, and I think what you saw down the stretch, the thing that excited me was like guys really came into their own. Like Kamara struggled a little bit early on, and I thought was really solid late. I thought Kobe Elvis, he was a guy I was really excited about coming in. I knew he could score it. He struggled early on. Late in the year, I thought he was really good. I thought he gave yep. them options scoring the basketball that they didn't really have that helped unlock what they what they were able to be. And like if all of these pieces continue this upward trajectory, I mean, this team could be really, really special. Um, because you have the chemistry in a year that a lot of teams don't run it back. They do. That's really, really a nice thing to be able to do. Uh, and they've got talent and they've got, they, they, they kind of been battle tested, right? I think there's a lot of comparisons actually made with Creighton nationally. Uh, you know, Creighton is, is, was in a similar spot, like rebuilding super young team with talent and they overachieved and now everyone has them in the top 10. They don't have Creighton level talent at Dayton, but they've got really good talent. And I think, you've got so many options for these guys to take that next step and explode that they could really make this team special downsides. I mean, look, I mean, they're still not that old, right? I mean, (laughs) like starting a second, like their two best players are sophomores. Yes. They played a lot of basketball last year. Like that, that, but that's, that's like something to deal with. I, I think, they, they still don't necessarily have like a go-to score. And I think that's something I think that did hurt them certainly early on last year when they were finding the roles. They didn't have a guy who could kind of take over a game. And I think Duran can be that at times, but you are leaning, I think, heavily on, on Kobe Elvis to be able to make make shots and and help slow runs down. I think that, that's a big deal. And look, I think at, at times in game, Anthony Grant has struggled. And that's not to say that He's a bad coach. I think he's done a, a, a really solid job, and has obviously built That's a really the good one team. criticism. Yeah, right. But, yeah. but in game, there have been ups and downs, and how you navigate those in game situations when you're playing against really high level teams in March. I mean, th- those dictate whether you get bounced early or wind up in, in Houston at the Final Four. So, uh, That's right. excited about excited about this team, without a doubt. I mean, I, I think I'm a, I'm probably as high on them as any of the national uh, kind of media contention is. I haven't. Looked at everyone's top twenty-five, but I think it. I think I'm. I'm at seventeen. I think that's probably as high as you'll, you'll see them in the preseason. So, yep, I'm a Flyer fan. I'm buying. I'm buying it. And that's that's why we have you on this show, Kevin. It's always a pleasure to catch up, especially in the preseason. We'll uh, we'll have to do it again during uh, one of the many many broadcasts. Talking out loud will be coming to fans live with this year, uh, both on the internet. Uh, and in the uh, pregame shows. And of course, uh, Dayton Flyer fans, if you would like to follow him, it's at CBB Central. His name is Kevin Sweeney, and he does it with us all the time, talking hoops here on call, uh, Talking Out Loud. Um, so that does it for the show today. Uh, Kevin, before I wrap up, any final thoughts? I mean, I think you said it all, right? Expectations are high, and, and you're a Flyer fan moving forward. So we're going to be watching your journey while you watch us. But uh, final thoughts before I let the fans out of here. Yeah, man. Th- th- thanks for having me as always. Uh, certainly excited to s- for the new season. Excited to to watch the Flyers and watch the A10. Uh, I know that that Friday night game at, at Loyola is one I've already got very much circled on calendar as well as the, the Wyoming game. And hopefully I'll make it out to UD Arena as well. So uh, th- th- thanks, uh, thanks always for having me and uh, looking forward to the season. No doubt. We will see you during the season again. That is Kevin Sweeney of SI Now and Field of 68 Network. I'm letting you out of here with a song by The Bravery. It's called Believe. It's the perfect thing you do in the preseason when there are no games played for a couple more weeks. 25 days until Dayton Flyers are back against Lindenwood. Open the season on Monday, November 7th at UD Arena. We'll be coming to you with another show next Wednesday. Haven't nailed down the guest yet because Chef Kudman, he is he's a squirrely man. You can never nail him down on the calendar. We're going to try and get him in here next week. 
more preview content coming at you live show when we take on smu we got a lot more coming up this season for now kevin sweeney i'm sully you know there's two rules on this show as i take you out you wear red be loud and we'll catch you next week Down